The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Psalm 124, we're going to pray, and then we're going we're to go ahead and dive into this passage. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this time together. We come before you with our anxieties, with our past uh, hurts and pains, with difficulties and hardships. We enter into this room with all kinds of different dispositions of anger and bitterness and frustration and sorrow and confusion and uh, disorientation. But Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be near and dear to the brokenhearted and that you would provide us with faith that produces gratitude, that produces joy, that ultimately leads your people to praise. We thank you for this time together this morning and for your word, Lord Jesus. We submit ourselves to it and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work to both convict and comfort this morning. Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, grace, mercy, and peace from Emmaus Bible Church. I'm honestly honored to be here preaching the word of God here this morning. Um, I've had some time to reflect upon my personal history with, with this church, with Two Pillars. It was in 2011 that my wife and I uh, were walking down the street of South Omaha, as as far as my memory serves me accurately, and uh, I'm sorry, not South Omaha, that's where I'm currently at, but South Street here in Lincoln. We were walking down South Street, and I think it was Megan Bumgardner that handed me an invite to Two Pillars. And Leon had already heard about the church, so we decided to go, and it was at Two Pillars that we learned what good exposition was opening up book after book, just unfolding God's word. It was at Two Pillars, at this very church, where we learned what a vibrant, transparent community looked like. We learned what it looked like to live in community with people, what it looked like to open up our lives. And at that point in time, I was in a, in a really dark spot. And at that point in time, it was really healing for me to be in a community of people that loved me and cared for me. So I'm honored to share this pulpit with your pastors as far as I think the pastors that I know would be Ben, Craig, and Adam and Todd. So I feel very honored and blessed to share this pulpit with those men. And I can honestly say, if it had not been for this church, I don't know where I would be. If it had not been for this church, I do not know where I would be today. And I say that not just as a way of encouraging you, and I do say that to encourage you, but I also use it as an illustration. We all have, if it wasn't for or if it had not been for stories. There are certain people, places, and things that shape us in particular ways that change the course of our lives, and we think in that moment in time, looking back, if it hadn't been for, then I have no idea where I would be today. Think about yours. Maybe it's, if it wasn't for my mom, or if it wasn't for my dad, or if it wasn't for my brother, if it wasn't for my wife, If it wasn't for a particular church or a particular book, if it wasn't for, I have no idea where I would be today. And when you reflect on your past in that type of way, what does it produce in you? It produces gratitude. Thanksgiving. It produces uh, a, a sort of spiral upward to where you could say, I can't believe I am where I am because of a particular person, place, or thing that shaped my life in a particular way. And this is exactly what we see in Psalm 124. Look at verse 1 with me. Psalm 124, verse 1, 
David says, if it had not been for the Lord. If it had not been for the Lord. This is a song uh, of ascent, which you guys are going through the psalm of ascents throughout the summer. And David explodes in gratitude and looking on the past, on looking on his past and Israel's past and says, if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for Yahweh, that's the word that he uses here, then we would be doomed. We would be done for. And he uses three images here in, in this psalm. He says, if it wasn't for the Lord, we would be swallowed up. If it wasn't for the Lord, we would be drowned at the bottom of the sea. And if it wasn't for the Lord, we would be ensnared like a bird. And then finally, in the final verse, in verse 8, he says, and if it wasn't for the Lord, we would have no help. We would have no help. And that's going to be our outline. We're going to be looking at those if it wasn't for. If it wasn't for the Lord, we'd be swallowed up. We would be drowned at the bottom of the ocean. And we would also be ensnared like a bird and without help. We're going to be looking at this verse by verse, section by section. So let's read verse 1 again and dive in. If it wasn't for the Lord. Psalm 124, verse 1. A song of ascents of David. David sings and leads the people and says in verse 1, If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord for who was on our side, let Israel now say. Here's the picture. It's the picture of David as a music leader, similar to how you have a music leader here. And David is standing before the congregation of Israel as if Israel could all be gathered together into one spot. And David says in joyful exuberance before all of Israel at one point in time, gathers them all together and says, if it wasn't for the Lord... If it wasn't for Yahweh, looking back on our history, if it wasn't for God, let everyone join me. Verse 2. If it wasn't for God, we would be doomed. And this is the picture that, that we're met with here in verse 1, that David is leading worship. And it's a song of ascents, which means that, as you'll hear over and over and over, I'm sure, as you've already heard last week and you'll hear throughout the summer, a song of ascents really means that the people of Israel are going to Jerusalem for their three, they're, they're called pilgrimage feasts. And the three pilgrimage feasts go by several different names, but just uh, in a simple term, the three pilgrimage feasts would be, number one, it would be that of Passover, remembering the Exodus. The second one would be Pentecost, and the third one would be the Feast of Booths. And three times a year, the people of Israel make this trek, this journey, this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and they use these 15 psalms as they went along. And what was stirring inside of them? Well, David wrote four of the 15, as far as we know. And in this particular one, what's, what's meant to be elicited, what's meant to be brought to mind, brought to heart, is step by step, as they're journeying to Jerusalem, as they're journeying, journeying to the tabernacle where God meets with his people, as they're walking to Jerusalem, what is stirring in their minds as they're singing, if God wasn't for us, if it wasn't for the Lord who was on our side, let all Israel say, if it wasn't for God, we would be doomed. What, what kind of emotion do you think that elicited in their hearts? Gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude which led to praise, and it was all stirred by remembrance. David says, look, remember. Remember your history. Remember where you've been. Remember who brought you to this moment in time. It wasn't by your own military power. 
or your own ingenuity. It wasn't by your own intellect. It wasn't by your own military strategy. If it wasn't for the Lord, you would be doomed. If it wasn't for the Lord, you would be doomed. Step by step, mile by mile, the people of the Lord remember And their remembrance of the Lord moves them to gratitude. And ultimately, their gratitude moves them to praise. This is what I call the logic of gratitude. Remembrance moves us to gratitude. Gratitude moves us then to praise. But this psalm is not just for them then. It's for us here and now. And at the risk of oversimplifying... I want you to think about Galatians 6.16. Galatians 6.16. In Galatians 6.16, the Apostle Paul does something very interesting when he's speaking to the churches in the region of Galatia, a primarily Gentile area. What does he say in Galatians 6.16? He says that you are the Israel of God. You're the Israel of God. There's a lot of theology packed into that one little statement, that one little verse. But what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's saying the people of God in the Old Testament and the scriptures that were for the people of God in the Old Testament are for the church today. And we could spend hours upon hours unfolding the covenants and how this fits together. But I want to use this verse to help you see that the church, the church continues to sing this psalm today. That you continue to sing the psalm today. By faith in Jesus Christ, you join in the refrain of David, if it wasn't for Yahweh, let all the church, let all God's people say, if it wasn't for Yahweh, where would we be, brothers and sisters? Where would we be if it wasn't for our God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Where would we be if it wasn't for Christ? Where would you be? And allow that remembrance to stir you to gratitude. And allow that gratitude to stir you up in a way that you move to praise, blessed be the name of the Lord God, Jesus Christ, in your baptism. At the the moment that Christ converted you before your baptism, you would say, if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for the Lord Yahweh, where would I be? And then as you're baptized into, into the waters and you come out as signifying that you're with Christ and you're with Christ's people, what do you say at that moment in time? If it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for Yahweh, I don't know where I would be. And as you take the Lord's table as God's people, what do you say? What are we saying in that as we remember our past, as we remember how God has saved us from sin and death? What do we say at that point in time? If it wasn't for Yahweh, I don't know where I would be. Brothers and sisters, as you continue to grow in sanctification, as you continue to grow in grace, as you continue this pilgrimage of life until you see Christ face to face. What is, the, what is the refrain of our lives? What is the refrain of your life as you remember back on who you once were and who you are today? Man, if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for Christ, I don't know where I would be. I would be doomed. And David leads us in the refrain, if it wasn't for God, you would be swallowed up. You'd be drowned at the bottom of a sea. You'd be ensnared like a bird, and you would be without help. And let's look at these these four refrains here. Starting in verse 2. You would be swallowed up without the Lord. Where would you be? You'd be swallowed up. Verse 2. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side when the people rose up against us, then they they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled 
against us. David here reflects on the enemies that should have destroyed the nation of Israel. He looks back on their history. And just think of the, sto- the Bible stories that you know. Think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Think about Judah and how Joshua led the people into the promised land and how there were many peoples in the land, the Philistines and the Jebusites and uh, so many other different people were in the land. And David is looking back at that history and he's saying, listen, let all Israel sing this refrain with me. If it wasn't for the Lord who was on our side, you know what, what would have happened to us? We would have been swallowed up alive. We'd be done for. Swallowed up alive here means utterly consumed or destroyed. It's a very similar language here in Numbers 26. You remember in, in Korah's rebellion and what happens to Korah and his family, all the people who rebelled against God. It says that the earth opened and swallowed them up. And this is the picture that David gives of God's people. He says, if it wasn't for God, we would be swallowed up alive. When the people rose up against us, I confess, David's king, he confesses. He says, I'm supposed to be a great king. I'm supposed to be a great, mighty warrior, but it has nothing to do with me. Yes, God uses me, but it's not by my power. Yes, God has used Israel, but it was not by their power. How? How in the world did we survive? And as he reflects, he says, it was Yahweh. It was God. It's a reminder of God's work. He confesses that they have no strength in and of themselves, that their enemies were greater than them, that their anger was kindled against them. And David, reflecting on this, recognizes that God did it all. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that the Christian life is all of grace? It's all of grace. You do not add anything to your salvation. You, we cannot bring anything to God that would be pleasing to him in our own good works. You cannot be strong enough. You cannot be smart enough. You cannot be good enough at your job. You can't make enough money. You can't make people like you enough to please God. It's all of grace. And this is exactly the refrain that David is singing. It's all of grace. If it wasn't for God, we would have nothing. You'd be swallowed up alive. It's all of grace. What does this do to the human heart? What does this do to you? Does it move you? Because let's just be honest. There are brothers and sisters in here who are wrestling with grumbling and complaining. And the reason that I know that is because that's the human condition. Just so you know. After the fall of mankind, after man sinned against God and walked away from God, the natural tendency of man's heart is to complain about everything around us. We'll find something to complain about. You'll find something to grumble about or be bitter about or to worry about or to be anxious about, to spiral downward about. You'll find something. And what this passage does is it, is it lifts our soul, it lifts our minds, and it allows, allows us in our hearts to say, yeah, there, there are things around me that are difficult. There are things around me that are heartbreaking and hard, and my past is difficult, and I don't want to minimize that. But what does David do? He says, in light of all the things that have happened to us, nothing compares with how awesome and great and majestic God is. Nothing. It's not even close. Not even close. And I think John Flavel said it well 
John Flavel essentially summarizes what David says here. He says, providence, God's providence needs to be read backward. God's providence needs to be read backward. And this is exactly what David is doing. He's looking back on their history. He's looking back on what Israel has gone through. And he's saying, it was God who carried me through the entire time. All glory be to God. And brothers and sisters, we ought to do the exact same thing in our lives as we reflect on our past, as we reflect on the difficulties and hardships that we face in this moment in time, that the providential and sovereign and loving and caring hand of God has carried you through to this moment in your life. Have you forgotten that God is sovereign? Have you forgotten about the doctrine of providence, which means that God cares and he orders all creation according to the purpose of his will? God does it for his own glory, and he wraps us into his plan for our good. So as you look on your past, as you look at the difficulties that you face, as you survey the hardship and the tears, as you survey the conflicts and the struggles and the wrestlings, do not forget the sovereignty and the providence of God, his caring and loving providential hand that you might say and you might live with a disposition if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't that, that the Lord loved me and cared for me and gave himself for me, I have no idea where I would be today. And if I even tried to imagine it, I would use the same words David did. I would be doomed. I'd be swallowed up alive. I'd be drowned at the bottom of an ocean. I would be ensnared like a bird. Brothers and sisters, no matter what circumstance has taken place in your life, the character of God completely trumps that circumstance. And this is what David is doing. He's saying, God has carried you through. God will carry you through. Do not forget that God is sovereign. Do not put a disproportionate amount of emphasis on small little things in comparison to how awesome and great God has been and will continue to be. And this is exactly what David does. If it was not for the Lord, if it wasn't for Yahweh, we would be doomed. We would be swallowed up. So where would you be if it wasn't for God? Well, you'd probably be at the bottom of an ocean somewhere, metaphorically. This is the second image that David uses. Let's read it together. Verse 4. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. David says, if it wasn't for God, you'd be drowned at the bottom of an ocean, at the bottom of a river somewhere. No hope, no help, no future. You'd be done for. Be toast. It's it. It's over. And this image is, is further clarified throughout the Old Testament in that, that the image of flood waters, the image of these waves and this torrent, which is a, is a really strong current, is a picture of chaos. It's a picture of turmoil. It's a picture of the, the struggle that we face in a sinful world. That's, that's a perfect illustration of what it means to live in a sinful world. It's like, it's like living in the ocean where there's no consistency, where you can't anticipate where the next wave's coming and you're just getting hit one way and the other. That's what life is. That's what life in a sinful and fallen world is. 
I don't know if you've ever considered how terrifying oceans are, but let me tell you how ter- terrible they are. Some of you maybe are from the coast, but anytime I get ready to travel to the ocean with my wife and we're going to spend a restful weekend near the ocean, I always spend the week preparing by watching videos of tsunamis. I always do it. And she thinks I'm nuts for it, and I probably am. But if you want to ruin your vacation to the ocean, just watch videos of tsunamis. And that, that, will, that will do it. It's a great way to torture yourself. And there's a reason when you see a tsunami on YouTube, because I've never seen one in real life, thankfully. But when you see a tsunami and you, you notice the power and you notice that there are people in its way and there's, there's cars, people going about their business with houses and babies and, and, and elderly people and people who weren't even expecting it. And here comes this huge tsunami and just completely crushes and crashes in on their lives and utterly destroys everything in its path. It's unapologetic. It's unstoppable. This is the kind of power This is the kind of gut-wrenching and breathtaking power that David is talking about. He's saying our enemies are like a tsunami. Does it make any sense when you look at these little people, Israel, who are pulled out of slavery in Egypt after 400 years and then 40 years in the wilderness, does it make any sense that they're surviving? Does it add up? As you weigh it, it doesn't really make any sense. And David says, yeah, it's not supposed to make sense. It doesn't make sense. And he says that's because it's all of God's grace. If it wasn't for the Lord who was on our side, we would be drowned at the bottom of the ocean. We'd be at the bottom of our enemy's boot. We'd be done for. We'd be toast. David is singing this psalm in joyful exuberance, saying, look at our enemies, look at what we face. Not, we didn't overcome it because of us, but because of God. Because of God. And in a similar fashion, brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to think about the church in the same way. It's really simple to interpret enemies through the lens of the New Testament, through Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about our enemy in three ways, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Think think about how huge and how marvelous and how incredible and how gut-wrenching these three enemies are. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Are you serious? Are you telling me that these are our enemies that we need to face? We have no chance, no shot, zero. The world, just think about it. Think about the the culture that we live in and raising our children in, in, uh, in in a worldly culture like this one. Think about the sway that the culture has over people, even over you. It's the water that we swim in. Oftentimes, it's difficult for us to sort out what truth is just because of the culture that we live in. This is our enemy. Think about the flesh. If the external world wasn't difficult enough, just think about in the internal struggle that you have with sin. Think about the weight and the burden that sin brings upon you. Think about the anxiety and the struggle and the tears and the sorrow that families have faced, that you faced over your sin, your personal sin against God and against other people. This ongoing wrestling and struggling that Jesus says you'll have for your entire life here. This is our enemy. Are you serious? Think about the devil, that scripture says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. That's terrifying. 
That's terrifying because the image of a lion doesn't even come close to how ravenous the devil is. These are our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Count me out. I'm, I'm not in for fighting those enemies. And you know what David says? He says, they've already been fought. The war has already been won. Brothers and sisters, if it wasn't for the Lord who was on our side, let all Israel say, if it wasn't for the Lord who was on our side, we would be swallowed up alive. We would be drowned at the bottom of an ocean. The world, the flesh, and the devil is a great enemy for us, and it's an enemy that we could never face. It's like a tsunami type of enemy, but, but there is one who stands above the wind and the waves. In Matthew chapter 8, the apostles see Jesus in this terrible storm stand above the wind and the waves, and he tells them, what does he say? He says, hush, hush. And the wind and the waves are silent and the apostles' minds are blown and they say, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? And brothers and sisters, even though our enemies seem like they're these great tsunami-like figures, the world, the flesh, and the devil, even though it seems impossible for us to even make, uh, make one step forward in forward progress, Lord Jesus has done it for us. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and lives and breathes and moves in this church. If you're concerned for the future of the church, don't be. If you're concerned that the church is going uh, to be broken up and the world is going to destroy the church and persecution is going to tear the church apart or that your sin is too great to be forgiven, if you're worried about the political and worldly ideologies of the day, if you're worried about the devil, brothers and sisters, don't be, because if it wasn't for the Lord, then we would have already been doomed. If it wasn't for the Lord who was on our side, we would have been swallowed up already at the bottom of an ocean somewhere. We'd be toast, we'd be done, but Christ has won the victory for us. Whatever your situation is, whatever hopelessness you're facing, whatever despair or heartbreak or difficulty or depression or anxiety, brothers and sisters, we have a great enemy, but we have a greater Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his precious blood for the church. So we enter into this refrain with joyful exuberance with David and say, Lord Jesus, if it wasn't for you, let the church say, if it wasn't for you, Lord Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, we would be done for and doomed. May this produce a spiral of gratitude that leads us to praise. Where would you be? Where would you be without the Lord Jesus? This morning, where would you be? Well, not only would you be swallowed up alive at the bottom of an ocean, drowned somewhere, but you would also be ensnared. Let's look at the next point here in verse 6. We would be ensnared. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us to the prey as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. That those are hunters. The snare is broken and we have escaped. David in this image inserts an eruption of praise and gratitude. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be Yahweh. Praise his name. Praise his name. 
He says, we were like birds. Think about a hunter who's hunting for birds and is way more crafty than a bird. Birds are not very smart creatures. And the hunter knows exactly what the bird's going to do next. And he knows exactly how to trap the bird. And David says, blessed be God, our Savior. Why? Because we were like birds that were trapped. We were trapped and we were stuck. But at the very last moment, as the hunter stepped toward us, we escaped. And how did we do this? Not by chance, not by sheer luck, but by God's care, concern, and providential hand. God has cared for his people in the past, and he will care for his people now. The image of a bird reminds us that we are helpless and hopeless without our Savior. David encourages the people to remember. He says, remember. Remember all the times that you thought that Israel was done for, but they escaped at the last moment. Think about Abraham and how his wife couldn't have children. What did God do? God provided the son of promise. Think about, uh, think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. What did they do when they were, there was a famine? God raised up a son in order that the people might be brought into Egypt and have food. But what did the people do? What did the people do when they were in Egypt for 400 years and Pharaoh's hand was heavy upon them and they had difficulty and hardship and they were in slavery? What did God do? When it felt like they had no way of escape, well, God raised up a servant, Moses, in order to lead the people out. Well, what, what did God do when they came to the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was coming in and crashing down upon them? They didn't have anything to defend themselves with. What did God do? God parted the Red Sea. And when the people were in the wilderness and they didn't have any food and they were starving and they were longing to go back to Egypt and they felt like there was no way, no way that they were going to survive, what did God do? He provided manna from heaven. And when the people were in the wilderness and oppressed by the other people and enemies and they couldn't defend themselves and they were weak and powerless, what did God do? God gave them militant power and strength And what did God do when the people entered into the promised land and the land of Canaan? And there were iron chariots and there was difficulty and there were great nations much bigger and greater than Israel. What did God do when it seemed like there was no hope at that last moment? God made a way. And David, in reflecting upon the history of Israel, says, listen, remember Remember all of the difficulties? Remember all the times when you were like a bird in a trap? Remember those times? You escaped. And it wasn't that you escaped by luck or chance, but because of God's sovereign care and providence and protection. Brothers and sisters, now we consider not only Israel in the past, but we consider the church now today. We consider you. For you, think about your past. When you think about your past, what comes to mind? Are you bitter and angry about how someone else treated you? Yeah, that sounds difficult. That is hard to wrestle through those things. When you think about your past, are you concerned and worried about all of the things that passed you by, all of the opportunities that you didn't take, all of the potential that could have been but never happened because somehow you missed your opportunity, you missed your chance? If only luck would have struck in a particular way. 
Well, let me tell you that this is a wrong way of thinking about your past. This is, an, this is a worldly way of thinking about your past. And David helps us to see in poetic refrain. You look at your past and you look at where you're at today. And really what we should be saying is we should say, if it wasn't for God and his great mercy and grace, I would not be where I am today. The difficulties that we're presented with often preoccupy our minds. Money issues, or the fact that we're single and we don't want to be single, or the, the fact that we have a family and we don't want a family, or the fact that we have a house and we want a bigger house, or that we have too big of a house and we want a smaller house, or we have a good job but we want a better job, or the fact that we live in a good city but we want to live in a better city, or we live away from family and we want to live close to family, or we live too close to family and we want to live away from family. The things that preoccupy our minds distract us from being grateful for the providential caring hand of God in our lives. And as we look back on our past, just like David did, if we have a right perspective and are able to say, if it wasn't for the Lord, Brothers and sisters, if it wasn't for God, where would you be? Answer that question honestly. If it wasn't for God's kindness and grace and mercy, if it wasn't for the gospel of Christ, the fact that Jesus shed his precious blood, brothers and sisters, where would you be at this moment in time? I can tell you for a fact, I'd be at the bottom of an ocean somewhere. I would be swallowed up alive by the enemy. I'd be ensnared in a trap and I would have no way of escape. And really, really what changes our disposition and allows us to exercise this heart of gratitude is by remembering the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Think about the way that Peter addresses the elect exiles in 1 Peter 1.8. What does he say? He doesn't say, look, your lives are awesome and great. He doesn't say, you, you have all the money you could ever ask for. You have all the food you could ever ask for. Socially, you're important. You have great jobs, good families. You guys are just set. He doesn't say any of that. He actually says the opposite. He says, you are going through some of the most difficult things people have ever gone through in history. But you know what he says? He says, even though you don't see Jesus, you love him. And even though you can't now experience him, in the flesh, you experience him by faith. And so, so what? You're experiencing this, the, the joy of your salvation, the salvation of your very souls. He says you're obtaining the outcome of your faith in this moment in time. Brothers and sisters, we must put a proper emphasis on salvation that was provided to us by the blood of Christ and not put an inordinate a disproportionate emphasis on our circumstances or money or calendars or families or time or whatever it might be. But when we exalt and elevate in Christ, we put him in the right spot and then that leads to the logic of gratitude which spirals our heart upward in praise and adoration to God no matter what is happening. No matter what the tumultuous waters look like, no matter what the enemy looks like, we can say, Lord Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for you, you know what, I know exactly where I would be. And this moves us into our final point. Without the Lord, without Yahweh, we would be without help. Look at verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I wonder if you would answer this question as you reflect on this verse. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
Where is your help? Where is your help? That probably will be answered by how you answer this other question. What's your biggest problem? What's your biggest problem right now in your life? What's the problem that consumes your mind, that consumes you in the evenings or in the mornings? What, what consumes your, your thoughts and your words and your actions? Where do you spend your time and your money? What's your biggest problem right now? Is it the fact that you're uncomfortable in a, in a particular season of life and you're trying to pursue comfort and that's your biggest problem? Or maybe you don't know how to deal with your past and that's your biggest problem. And somehow, if you could only just find a respite or a solution or maybe desensitize yourself, you would be better. Where is your help? Where do you look for help? Well, what's your biggest problem? For the people of Israel, they recognized that their circumstances, that their own individual lives were trumped by a greater problem. They were, they were trumped by a, a greater sense of glory, by a greater sense of desire, by a greater sense of what they wanted to live for. And this is exactly why they answer in the refrain, if it wasn't for the Lord, if it wasn't for the Lord, if it wasn't for the Lord, and then they say, blessed be Yahweh, who is our help. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Why do they turn that way? It's because they don't live for their own glory. They live for the glory and exaltation of Yahweh and Yahweh alone. Let me tell you how this works itself out. There's an elephant in the room right now as we read Psalm 124, and the elephant is that there is no longer a tabernacle. I don't know if you know that, that there's no tabernacle, there's no temple, there's no songs to sing on our way to the tabernacle or the temple. All the people who sang this song when David wrote it over 3,000 years ago are dead. David, who wrote this song 3,000 years ago, is dead. How could he say, my help is in the name of the Lord. If it wasn't for the Lord, then I would be drowned. I would be thrown into the sea. I would be stamped upon. I would be stamped and snuffed out. But now he's dead. So what? David and the people of Israel were living for something and someone greater than themselves that this psalm implicitly speaks to and looks forward to. As we unfold the Old Testament, as we see the forward motion of the whole Old Testament, all of the promises, all of the prophecies, they're all climaxing in a particular event, in a person. And the Apostle Paul picks that historical redemptive theme up in the Old Testament, and he says, look, look, the prophecy fulfiller is here, the promise keeper is here, and he says, all of the promises of God, I'll say it again, all of the promises of God in the Old Testament find their yes and amen in a man, Yahweh in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So when they were singing this psalm, when they were singing about Yahweh and the, and the fact that he kept them and that Israel was God's people throughout the ages, what they're praising God for is the fact that God had a promised son. God promised Abraham an offspring. And who is the offspring in Galatians 3? It's Jesus. Who is Israel? Who is Israel in Matthew? Matthew, the apostle, picks up this theme of Israel from Exodus. In Exodus, it says, out of Israel, I called my son, talking about the people of Israel. And Matthew says, look, when Jesus came out of Egypt, who is this? Who is this? 
This fulfills the prophecy. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So when we sing this psalm, when Israel is singing this psalm, it ultimately is a song elevating the worth and majesty and might of Christ, the promise keeper. He is the one who has swallowed up sin and death in 1 Corinthians 14. He is the one who stands above the waters in Matthew 8 and Luke 8. He is the one who was, who was taken from the jaws of death. He was ensnared at the crucifixion and in his death, but in his resurrection at the last moment, he says, glory to God, glory to God, and he escaped, and he is the one who is our help, and our help is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This psalm, like all scripture, brothers and sisters, transcends the people and places and times that it speaks to, and it speaks to Christ. And how is it ours today? It's ours today by faith in Jesus Christ, the promise keeper. By faith, all of these promises, by faith, we sing this refrain in our lives. By faith, we are the ones who take this psalm upon our lips and upon our hearts and say, all glory be to Christ. If it wasn't for Yahweh, I know exactly where I would be. I'd be at the bottom of an ocean somewhere. I would be doomed for destruction. Brothers and sisters, this psalm is intended to stir us to great heights of gratitude. Consider with me for a moment making this the refrain, the theme of your life. If it wasn't for the Lord, if it wasn't for the Lord, just this week I was reflecting upon my past and certain things in our past have a way of shaping us in a particular way and I was spiraling downward and bitterness and frustration and uh, in a sense uh, hopelessness and darkness and I had the ability at that point in time by the power of the Holy Spirit to say no 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 I have the wrong perspective if it wasn't for the Lord and his providential loving kind and caring hand that I wouldn't be where I am today and that's a good thing I can obtain I can obtain the joy of my salvation right now in this moment of time by faith in Christ because he transcends my circumstances. He transcends my life. And brothers and sisters, that's my prayer for you, that we would be a people, that you would be a people that are able to say, if it wasn't for the Lord, if it wasn't for the Lord. And if you don't find your hope, if you don't find your rest in Jesus Christ and you're here and you're wrestling with, is Jesus really my Lord? Is he really my Savior? If you're really wrestling with that, consider the help that the world has for you in this moment in time. Where is your help? And the bleak reality in this life, and this is why scripture talks about the world as a darkness and Christ as a light, the reality is that you have no hope, you have no help. But there has been hope that has been presented from Psalm 124 this morning. There is hope here as in jars of clay in this body. And I would encourage you that if you're considering Christ or if you're considering Jesus as your help, stay here. Stay here and learn more and grow and see the fact that we have grateful hearts and we can pursue Christ together and say, if it wasn't for the Lord, then I don't know where I would be. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time, for this morning. We thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. We thank you that you are our help and that without you, we would be doomed. We pray that this would produce gratitude and hope in us. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.